I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. In this episode, I have Jody Paxton, Director of Google Cloud Customer Care Offer and Operations. Before joining Google, Jody spent a little over three years working on the TSI research team, where she did some phenomenal research and advisory work related to monetizing technology service capabilities. Now, for those listeners not familiar with TSIA, we are a for-profit research institute. We track the financial performance of the largest publicly traded technology providers on the planet. More importantly, we perform deep operational benchmarking with the technology companies that are on the TSIA platform. It is that data that helps inform the insights you will hear in this series. So let's get right into it. Jody, welcome. It's nice to see you again. And first of all, tell us about your responsibilities at this little company called Google. (laughs) Great. Thanks, Thomas. It's so wonderful to be here and speaking with you again. Yes, um, I joined Google Cloud a little over a year ago, um, really to come in and reimagine our customer care support portfolio. So my team is fantastic. We um, have gathered to really focus on our future selves and um, land on three main areas that we're focused on. First and foremost, we stood up and offer MPI process and governance, um, as well as a central hub of market intelligence. So everything from our competitive analysis to voice of the customer to looking at market insights such as TSIA. The second aspect of the team really focuses on the offer design lead. So those are our product managers, as some would say, looking at how to take offers from concept to market, leveraging that standardized MPI offer development process. And then finally, we have another group that really is focused on landing the offers with our sellers. Now, considering sellers are both our direct sellers as well as our partners, right? How do we enable them to become better sellers and position what we do um, in a value-based statement. So that's inclusive of marketing, deal management, customer transition strategies, so ensuring we really land that in market with our sellers. Wow, you have a lot going on there that you're, you're responsible for. And I want to get more into what you're seeing from the Google perspective. But, but first, I want to back up. Before joining Google, as, as I mentioned, you were a TSI researcher advising companies of all shapes and sizes on how to craft their services portfolio. And so what were some of the key messages that you would deliver to companies when they came to you for assistance in this area? Yeah, so it was great. I spent about three years working with all of your member companies. And I would say that the messages varied a little bit, right? So if we look at the companies that we were discussing things with, I would say about 90% of them were really on the same path, just different parts of their journey. So some were moving from the free, inclusive, support to a fee-based model. And those were mostly hardware manufacturing equipment companies. And then some were looking at how to manage more the hybrid portfolio. So thinking of that transition, right? They still have a lot on-prem. They're moving to X as a service. And then we had a select few, of course, that were the born in the cloud companies that were quickly realizing that bundling support and services into the technology skew was unsustainable. And you know what you say about that, Thomas. You say unsustainable business models are unsustainable. Absolutely. A quote to live by. <laughs> a quote to live by for sure. 
Um, so really, you know, if we kind of look at that spectrum of, of companies, there's three key messages that really transpired for all of them. First one, you know, one size does not fit all. So build a service portfolio that's agile and can be tailored to specific customer segments or customers that have varying um, sizes, right? And then secondly, you need to be able to demonstrate the value of services so that you can substantiate a monetization strategy. And I feel like this is something that a lot of companies overlooked, right? That marketing, that enablement, the value proposition aspect of the portfolio. But the third thing that I probably didn't speak to the members as much, but have learned now is really determining your customer success management strategy upfront, because that plays a critical aspect of how these portfolios are monetized and how you're going to market. And, and so, and let's click into that a little bit in terms of the, so what you mean by that, right? The customer success strategy and how much that is influencing um, the service portfolio. So what, what is the insight you, you have there? I think this has to do with Google Cloud being in a consumption model, right? So if we think about consumption-based offers, they're very different than your software companies, your hardware companies, even your X as a service type models. Because the real question is, you know, we do not get paid. We not do, there's no revenue until the customer begins using the technology. So all the efforts need to drive a customer to consume. And the customer experience organization or the customer success organization or your traditional services team really need to evolve this way of thinking in that customer success management function is a key element to ensuring that that consumption happens. And this is great. I'm glad you put this on the table because this is definitely one of the things I wanted to talk about because you know, there are many as a service providers that, that have traditional per user based pricing that are now migrating to consumption-based pricing, right? So, and Autodesk is an extreme example there where I think now they have a model where users can pay for 24-hour access to an application and then it gets turned off and they want to, you know, another 24 hours, they turn it back on. So it's sort of the ultimate pay-as-you-go model. And as you mentioned, Google has, you know, many consumption-based offers. And so what should companies be thinking about if they're moving to this pricing model as it relates to what how they're monetizing other service activities around the core technology. Yeah, this is um, this is a big shift. So consumption-based offers really do require a different business model. And companies need to think holistically about how their industry is evolving. Because it's not only, as you said, it's not only a product or a solution pricing play. It's really around what are new channels and partnerships. How are you going to define and, and secure new customers? How are you going to train your sellers to engage differently? And then with regards to the consumption-based offer, there's the ever-looming, and I'm sure all of your listeners will relate to this, the systems to consider, right? How, how are you billing? What's the CPQ? What's the CRM, right? All this needs to be developed in parallel with the monetization strategy and with your services strategy. So if we remind ourselves that back to what I said before, there is no revenue until the customer begins using that technology, we have to evolve how we do things because it's no longer a sell and renew play. It's around deepened customer enablement efforts to really adopt the technology through people, through process, and really the learning and education component that you know sometimes is that redheaded stepchild in a company is critical to advancing your customer's consumption. 
And then you also need to consider how to get ahead of some of these known blockers that prevent that consumption or adoption of the technology. So this is really where I find that customer success management is really this new remit that we need to really look at how we're utilizing these resources. And then that question becomes, do you monetize this or do you not monetize this? Well, and that's a, it's a huge question. And you know, as I listen to you talk about the fact that if you're going to move to consumption-based pricing, this is something that impacts you know, like all aspects of how you're doing business, right? Your systems, you know, everything. And it, it reminds me of, of a, a memo I read from the, I think it was the CEO of New Relic out to their investors when, when they decided recently to move to a consumption-based model. And he, you know, basically said, this is a, you know, a company-wide impact, right? This is a multi-year effort to, to successfully move to that model. But this question, this question about you know what you're charging for or not in that model, because I definitely see this growing drumbeat from companies that have consumption-based pricing models that perhaps services you know should be given away, right? More free services to accelerate consumption. But what is your personal perspective on this? Like, how do you navigate that decision? Yeah, well, it's it's humorous to me in a bit because I manage a team that's accountable for the support revenue, the support attached, and the margin target. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit biased mm-hmm. in, you know, with myself, and I squarely fall in that services should be paid for kind of camp. However, you know, that said, there, this drumbeat is like this service CSM role and, and the charter. So I know that we, when I was at TSA, we spoke about this with member companies, right? And we ask this question, Phil Nannis and I, always, every year, you know, are you monetizing? Are you not? And it was a 50-50 split with your member companies almost every year. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the charter of that CSM and the services around that. So if, if you have a success management organization that's held to revenue, adoption, renewals, right, you're, you're probably going to start monetizing that at some point. But if you have a CSM or services team that's really more of an engagement manager, the shift will happen that perhaps that is actually a cost of doing business, right? So consider your account managers, right? We don't charge for that. But the services aspect of it around how that customer consumes things or how they're being prescriptive um, and, and, and running down a prescriptive path to help those customers consume, that could be considered you know, the key to success of them consuming more, which is a cost that most companies will end up bearing, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things is just the components of the CSM's responsibility is really just to make sure the client is driving the maximum business value from the investment in the technology. And that there in itself really funds that success organization. But if we kind of look at it in a more holistic way, we have really expensive resources delivering services outside of that engagement with the success management team. So for me, I my personal perspective is you continue to have a monetization strategy for recurring revenue type of offers, meaning your support services, meaning learning services that you can pull into that portfolio, right? Because there's a constant need to ensure your customers are learning things. So making a monetization strategy around a portfolio of services that align to the success management function, 
but at least provide a profitable and margin positive business for your traditional support services and professional services team. Yeah. And so is there this threshold regarding the service activities, right? So certain activities are being done as part of, you know, uh, helping the customer, you know, adopt and making sure that they have a path to consumption, but then you cross a threshold of additional value you're adding, whatever it is, right? Consultative capabilities, um, program management capabilities, whatever it is, right? Where there's real value there that you should be monetizing. And I think that, that, you know, navigating that line of demarcation is gonna be critical for companies that are in these consumption-based models, because as you know, <laughs> we have this fear that you know you're putting 10 pounds of value in a five-pound you know revenue bag if you start you know stuffing all kind of service activities away for free, and 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 that's something I think you know the industry is really going to have to watch. Yeah, and because how the PLs are set up in organizations as well, you know the behaviors dictate that. So. In, in areas where organizations are driving their PL, they need to be able to self-fund in some cases, right? They need to be yeah. able to show at least, you know, a, like an even um, neutral margin, if not positive margin in most cases. Um, I know, you know, everyone in every company I speak to is definitely under that margin pressure, right? How do we deliver more profit to the business? So mm-hmm. that is a balance that we really need to be mindful of. But when we talk to customers and when I've spoken to our customers, they're willing to pay for services in which they see value in, in which they derive value in reducing their costs or their headaches or helping them minimize disruption in their technology to service their end customers. They're willing to pay for that. It's not, that's not the problem. It's just ensuring the services are the right ones for the customer at the right time within their maturity of that technology usage. Yeah, and that I mean that is a really really critical point that if they if the customer perceives real business value in the service, um, they will pay for that. And you shouldn't be shy about monetizing that, right? And saying well that again it's just the cost of doing business because again our our concern is that becomes unsustainable. And it's interesting Jody, I just started to, to noodle on a new concept. I, I know you're very familiar with this rule of 40, right? Which, which a lot of uh, born in the cloud companies uh, prescribe to, which is if you take our growth rate plus our profitability, if that number equals 40%, then I have a successful, you know, born in the cloud business here, right? So if I'm, if I'm growing it at 40%, but I'm, I'm break even, life's still okay. But when you look at the, the data, there are very few born in the cloud companies that even come close to that. And most of them, why? Because, okay, maybe they're growing 20, you know, 25%, but they're losing, you know, five, 10, 15 points. So when you add it up, it doesn't come up to 40 points, you know, in the, on the positive side. And I'm getting much more fascinated with something I'm, I'm calling the rule of 60. <laughs> so listen to the math. Okay. Can you keep your COGS, right? The cost of, of, of the infrastructure at 30% or less and keep your cost of sales at 30% or less, right? So you take those two numbers and you add them up. And if it's 60 points or lower, you're going to have a, a successful 
uh, cloud business, if those numbers are over 60, in other words, your sales and marketing are 37, 40 you know, percent, uh, your, your COGS are, are over 30 percent, it's tough to have a business that's sustainable. By the way, Google is a rule of 60 company. You meet that. Adobe is a rule of 60 company. I think Microsoft, the last time I just looked at their financials, they're a rule of 60 company. But I think to sustain that, you're going to have to, again, navigate this line of demarcation between what you're giving away for free and what you're monetizing. Because if you don't navigate that, you're, you're going to stuff those extra costs either into COGS or sales and marketing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's a, it's a hard thing to quantify in some cases, depending on how well you're looking at your data. So meaning, is, if the services that you're providing for free, are they correlated to growth in a company? Mm-hmm. And if they are not, that is a problem. So you need to have a really strong data and analytics team to help you really understand the impact that the success management or technical account management or customer experience management or whatever terminology you're using, what their impact is with the growth of a customer account in a consumption model. That I mean, I, This is a great thread you just put on the table. And I don't know if you remember this analysis that we had done. This is before you had joined us at TSIA, but it was around this, this concept of economic impact analysis. And this is exactly what you were talking, exactly what you're talking about. And we had... Um, several members, this is probably almost a decade ago, so more traditional tech companies like EMC and Akamai at that time, and they were having this very debate, which is, hey, I'll, I'll pick on EMC back in the day. Hey, you know, we're really not a consulting company, but if we invest consulting into an account, does that accelerate product sales? Yes or no, right? And so they did that analysis, right? The head of their, their consulting organization uh, you know, they had that conducted. And guess what? It came back and it showed that, gosh, every time we give a customer pick, pick a number, you know, 40 hours, 50 hours, 100 hours of, of either heavily discounted or free consulting, that customer ends up spending more money on EMC products, right? So that is a great return on investment. We should do that more. <laughs> and by the way, Akamai came up with the same math. The, the challenge, though, and this is exactly what you just stated about the quality of your analytics. It's also, I would say, the commitment to that data. Because what happens over time is people go, okay, yeah, I get this whole economic impact. Good stuff happens on the back end. But we keep hiring more and more of these consultants or more and more of these CS people or more and more of this whatever. And there's no revenue associated with them. And that's getting pretty expensive. And, and the first time you hit a blip financially, right, a tough quarter, a tough year, guess what resource gets whacked first? The resource that has no revenue attached to it. Exactly. So that, I mean, so you have to really be committed to playing that in the long term. Otherwise, you know, what we see is that those service capabilities at some point get decimated because people just, you know, they don't want to commit to that type of math anymore. Absolutely agree. hundred percent agree. You have to be able to change how you're, delivering the services. The model has to adjust. It cannot be a resource heavy model if you're going to scale a business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let me shift gears on you a little bit, because I want to go back to, let's say, more traditional challenge that, that a lot of our you know listeners have with, so they're not in a consumption-based model, right? They're not dealing with that yet. 
Um, but they may be you know, this profile that you were describing earlier, like, you can, yeah, I could be a hardware company and now I'm, I'm deciding I used to give stuff away for free and now I want to monetize or, um, you know, I'm a software company moving into just more traditional SaaS. And I'm, again, trying to understand how I monetize services around the core technology. And, and, and as you know, a common question people ask is, should we charge for service activities discreetly, right? Like, hey, here's a technology offer and then now here's you know here's the cs offer or the you know consulting or education or whatever or do you bundle those service activities into what i'll call sort of like good better best plans right where you're more prescriptive with the customer and you say okay if you're a customer and you're buying the solution from us maybe it's a new cloud solution or it's even on-prem hardware it doesn't matter here is the service package we recommend it's all part of you know one thought with the customer right it's one cohesive bundle we, we see both versions in the wild, right? Do, mm-hmm. do you have any opinion on what model works best? Yeah, I see both both of these models here at Google Cloud as well, especially as we acquire smaller companies, right? And I see the smaller companies because they're trying to get market share, right? So they're trying to make it easy. And the goal is not necessarily profitability out of the gate. It's really gaining market share. So reducing the, the end price tag to the customer is kind of what the strategy has been and wrapping those services in that technology skew. So I see that pretty commonly with the, with the smaller companies. But if we look at larger companies that have more substantiated organizations, right, inclusive of not only resources to deliver, but program management, marketing, you know, somebody looking at the competition, really delivering and, and creating more of a robust support or service portfolio, we see those companies monetizing services because they know that that is necessary in order to keep up with the growth of a company, right? Because they need to self-fund and drive a profitable line of business. So, you know, my strong point of view is absolutely, I believe companies should charge for services separately from that technology skew. I do think, though, it is a path of maturity with companies. However, when you have unbundled services with a product, it's very challenging to unwind that and start moving into charging for services separately because you've set your customer expectations at a certain price tag. And this is, you know, this is hard to do. This is why we, we've, I've spoken to companies in the past about those customer transition strategies, moving from that bundled, you know, inclusive um, price point out of that into a separate skew. Um, and it's hard, right? But it happens and people are successful at doing it. There's, you know, logical step-in processes, deal management, customer transition strategies that you can align to make that happen successfully. So let's click into that particular scenario, Jody, because I think it's one that's still a lot of technologies providers face, which is, hey, we used to do a lot of stuff for our customer free. Um, it's just the way that you know our industry evolved and it's what our competitors were doing. But we're now at a point where we're realizing you know it's not sustainable or that maybe on the technology side, we're facing some commoditization and we can't afford to do that anymore, right? So now we got to start breaking this out and, mm-hmm. and charging you know, our customers for these service activities. And you said something that is, you know, every, everyone really should take the heart if they're facing this scenario, which is that is absolutely a doable feat. <laughs> there, there are tactics to get you there. And, and many, many companies have gone on that journey successfully. Yes, absolutely. There's, you know, there's three main things I think that when companies 
do this. One, they need to realize that you can't do it overnight. It is a, a year and a half process, right? Because as your contracts come up, you need in a renewal situation, which generally these companies have renewals, mm-hmm. that is the point of discussion with the customer, right? Breaking them out of a, a contract and moving them into net new. So there is a you know long tail of effort around this. It's easy to manage through, you know, a step in pricing increase, meaning your one commit is going to be this, your two, your three, mm-hmm. right, to move them into the right direction. And then also to provide them a net new offer. So don't you can't sell them the same thing that no. they've been getting for free. Great point. You need to reimagine how you're going to position that with the customer. You need to bring something innovative and new to the table that is really going to propel them to move into this new, essentially, portfolio of offers that you're taking to market. Yeah, that is such a great point. And I, you know this, right? When you, when you see companies face this, sometimes their own internal sales force is their worst enemy in this journey, right? Because the sales force will say, look, you know, none of our competitors are paying for this, or our customers will never pay for services. And, and, and the reality is that's just not true. <laughs> so I think, you know, following the guidance you just gave there is a pathway. And, and again, I just want for listeners that are facing this scenario, know that it is something that is absolutely achievable. So, so, so let me uh, shift gears again back to, to life at Google. And I'm just curious, you know, where do you see the, the Google services portfolio going? Let's say over the next five years, you know, what kind of evolution uh, do, do you expect there? Yeah, this is where I get so excited. So we just spent really this year kind of landing what I would call a good, better, best model with regards to our support services. Um, And we will continue to evolve and modernize this through value-add services and specific regulated market-type offers or industry-specific offers or public sector offers, right? So we get more granular in what we're doing. Um, And then as this evolution happens, we're going to offer customers a prescriptive approach that provides them with both that high level of support, but also the success capabilities that we were speaking of. So over time, we're going to have a converged portfolio. So we'll have access to skills and resources and expertise across all of our customer experience teams. So support, professional services, learning, and ultimately customer success. But we're also really going to be focusing on deepening our services and how we respond to product issues and offer expert guidance. So this is where we're going to, you know, drink our own champagne a bit and really leverage some of our AI and ML capabilities, our data and analytics. We want to drive a stronger self-service and provide more automated tooling, right? So it helps our customers adopt and use our products effectively. Um, so that is a big area that we'll be focusing on, and that rolls into our portfolio. But really, the longer-term t- evolution is, you know, how do we manage these service capabilities through a little bit more of a flexible program? So kind of what I was saying earlier, we need to right-size our pricing. We need to right-size our offers. We need to be able to have prescriptive digital service journeys for our SMB customers so that they can easily access the right services right, in a more high, uh, low-touch, scalable way. Um, and all of this just really helps our customers get the right services at the right time. Um, so that will help with their needs. So, so Jody, what I hear are is two key themes there, right? Number one is what we would call the digital customer experience, right? So giving your customers uh, the ability to leverage tools to do more self-service, 
uh, et cetera, right through through the platform. That's that's one key thought. Uh, and then the second is, you know, maybe this I'll say this, you know, three sizes doesn't fit all. You know, so good, better, best is 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 not the only three options for a customer. That you have a more flexible portfolio based on what they need. Did, did I get that correct? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can think of like, you know, think of digital natives, right? What they require is different than maybe somebody in a very regulated market, right? So we have to be mindful of how to service those customers differently. And it all mm-hmm. has to evolve from a flexible portfolio that's agile enough to tailor things to them in a scalable way, of course. So one thing in terms of maybe the persona, digital natives, and, and a type of customer, you know, how they want to consume uh, value or services. What about industry differences? What about verticalization of the service portfolio? What do you see there? We are really seeing, you know, expectations of customers. If you think, you know, they're, they're buying an industry solution from Google Cloud or, or from whomever, they expect your SMEs to be able to speak in the language in which they work in and live in, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to launch a... Um, a factory type of offering from a product perspective, per se, you would, as a factory owner, when you call or need service or support from an organization, you want that organization to understand your business and how that product is applied in your environment. This is a different skill set, right? This is beyond something breaking and fixing it. This is beyond just standing something up and implementing it. This is helping a customer understand one, how to use the technology in their environment, and two, for there be an empathetic phone on the other end when something breaks, that the support engineer or the success management or technical account manager understands the impact of when that is down to that organization and can advise or fix that solution based on their needs. So this is where you take kind of the typical break fix technical support engineer who's very, very well versed in the technology and help them put an industry lens on it and understanding of how that customer is using that technology in their environment. This is kind of the next way of really being tailored to that particular customer. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I just asked this question to the EVP of uh, customer success at Salesforce at the, at the conference in, in Vegas around verticalization. And, and is that something that uh, she felt was was coming to, you know, the customer success organizations? And her her answer was yes for for really a lot of the same reasons you're saying, right? To really understand what this means to this particular type of customer, you've got it. Yeah, you know, you've got to be grounded in that industry. So I think it's a it's another interesting trend we're seeing. So so I'm, I want to bring the the lens way back here. So, so not just from the Google perspective, but I mean, you've been doing this for a while. And, and again, you have a really, you know, broad view of, you know, services w- within uh, technology uh, companies. H- how do you think service portfolios are going to evolve, you know, for technology providers in general over the next, you know, three, five, 10 years? I mean, what are some of the, the, the big trends that, that you notice? So I, I really feel, and, and I have felt this from the very beginning, that you know, the support and service portfolios will be an absolute leading revenue driver in the organization. But it's a very intensive people business. And so 
the portfolio as far as what's developed is, isn't going to change dramatically. What's going to change is how we deliver it. And I think we need to think differently and embrace kind of what JV mentioned at the conference as far as the second wave of digital transformation, really moving from complexity to simplicity. Mm-hmm. And if we think about how our customers consume things and how we therefore sell and service them, we need to use things that we haven't done before, right? So how do you use automation and artificial intelligence, machine learning to really help our customers consume more of the products? How do you leverage data to perhaps, you know, develop algorithms that identify or prevent outages from coming? How do you partner and and get a seat at the table with your product engineers to reimagine how that technology is consumed and what those features and capabilities are? How do you start expanding partners in your channel relationships? Because that's how you're going to embrace new set capabilities or different locations or skills outside of your company. So that's more around the delivery aspect of it, right? So the portfolio really simply becomes a catalog of what I call on the truck services. So services that can be tailored for your customer segments, however, they're scaled, right? So that we know that they're in the box, they're easy to deliver. You take them off the shelf and again, that's obviously very simplistic, but you take them off the shelf and you deliver (laughs) them Um, and you can prescribe them in different components or blocks and pieces so that you can meet the needs of that digital native or that particular industry that you're serving. So to me, the evolution is, is pretty straightforward. It's simplify what we do at scale. Yeah. Now I know that sounds a little easier (laughs) than it is. I get that. But that's really what I center on. Well, it takes a lot of work to to, to make things simple, right? That's the reality of it. But, uh, you know, we're working on this new book and the theme, one of the key themes in there is that complexity kills and and that in specifically B2B, right? Enterprise tech, uh, we have made a lot of money off of complexity, (laughs) right? Yeah. I mean, not just the, you know, so the the technology is complex. So you got to make sure you have, you know, support around that. Oh, you need consulting around that. You need integration around that. You need customization around that. And we're monetizing every step of the way, either us or our our, our partners. And uh, we're going to have to ring that out. And and I think, you know, companies that meet the profile you just described, which which is they've taken complexity out, they've made it easier for customers uh, to consume. They've also made it easier to scale their service capabilities, right? Through multiple levers. Those are the companies that are going to grab a boatload of market share. I don't think there's any, any doubt about that. So I think that's a very accurate and fair vision. Well, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us. And, and you have shared some incredibly valuable insights to help companies shape their technology service portfolios. And I have to tell you, Jody, Google is very fortunate to have you there. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Thomas. Appreciate the opportunity to join your podcast. This is great. Yeah, it was fun. And, and I always like to end uh, these podcasts with the big question of the day. And so my question for the audience is, is can your company afford to not monetize the business value of the services your teams are providing. Is that a sustainable business strategy? Thanks for listening. Cheers.